Greetings, I'm Dave Gilmore, and this is Design Intelligence. In the studio today, I'm honored to have Suzanne Torriente, and with her also is Manjeet Ranu. We're going to talk deeply and pragmatically about the future of urban design and resilient security. Welcome to this edition of This is Design Intelligence, conversations with leadership voices in the built environment. Welcome, Suzanne Torriente from Jacobs Engineering and Manjit Ranu from WSP. And thank you for joining me on this edition of This is Design Intelligence. I'm glad you're with us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Our time today is really focused around this dynamic of environmental responsibility in relation to what we're calling resilient security. It's a theme that Design Intelligence has been publishing and speaking about uh, throughout it and will throughout this first quarter of the year. You know, when we looked to environmental responsibility, how are you in your individual practices or as organizations approaching projects through this idea of an environmentally resilient lens. And Suzanne, I know that that's deep at the heart of all the work that you do. I'd love to hear from you on how is Jacobs approaching its large projects around the world through this lens, and how are you bearing an influence on that? That's a great question. And just by a little way of of background, uh, I'm the global principal for city resilience at Jacobs. And I've been here for about three years after a career in local government. And so I come to this body of work with that local government and community perspective, if you will. And then also through the last, you know, really decade of my career, my local government work in South Florida was focused on climate adaptation, sustainability, and resilience. And so also going through the Rockefeller 100 Resilient Cities process, I really approach resilience in, a, in the broadest sense of the word. And quite frankly, coming to Jacobs, I've been really happy and impressed that I fit in nicely in an engineering firm and a solutions firm, even though that I'm not an engineer, but we look at things holistically. And so, you know, resilience uh, and sustainability are essentially two sides of the same coin, if you will. And uh, when we're looking at resilience in that broadest sense is identifying that risk and what are you doing to reduce risk and bounce back. And then there's sort of these natural environmental benefits that happen when you step back and look at resilience, not narrowly, but broadly. And so a lot of times, especially in Florida, people say resilience and they think only you know, water or storm water or climate, right? right. Uh, so I, I don't necessarily need to put sort of the, the adjective in front. Uh, if once you say resilience as a whole, uh, all these benefits come into play. That's kind of the way I see it. Well, I, I love that you have this background in public space, and uh, it's very pragmatic, isn't it? I mean, it's it's where the rubber meets the road, and so we can talk design concepts all day long, but at the end of the day, it comes down to the community where people live, and that's the orientation you've brought. Absolutely, where you know, and, and I and I work with brilliant you know architects and engineers here, and just yesterday we we were joking around, uh, you know, working with someone, uh, you know, doing an adaptation project at a community park. And the engineers have brilliant solutions, but I had to remind them the park is for people and where are the Boy Scouts going to play? How are they going to access the water? Right. And so that bringing that very 
just practical uh, angle, like you mentioned, yes, I think that's where where I fit in nicely. You know, in Jacobs, working on these multidisciplinary teams, giving these complete resilient solutions. That's fantastic. And so, three years on the job, and then I should say three years on the job at Jacobs. And Manjeet, you're relatively new, I think, to WSP, one of the other large global firms in this space. And um, it's exciting to see what's going on in your world. Uh, tell us a little bit about some of your background, like Suzanne did. Yeah, sure. And thanks again for having me on the podcast. And again, I'm Manjeet Ranu. I'm the national planning lead for WSP in the United States. And my background, similar to Suzanne, is I have experience in both public and private sectors spanning six states and um, practicing in land use, transportation, urban design, capital programs, public engagement, and organizational management. And and all that gives me a, a broad perspective that's what planners bring to the to the process and to our environment and infrastructure. And um, I was pleased to join WSP recently. WSP USA is the U.S. operating company of WSP, one of the world's leading environmental environment engineering and professional services firms. And in fact, about the time that I started at WSP, we were recognized by Fast Company and its brands that matter list for 2022 as a top community-minded business. And WSP USA brings together engineers, planners, technical experts, strategic advisors, and construction management professionals who are dedicated to collaborate in the best interests of serving local communities. And, And WSP USA designs lasting solutions in the buildings, transportation, energy, water, and environmental markets. And as a, a large company with a breadth and depth of services with 16,000 employees across 30 or 300 offices in the United States, uh, we do partner with clients to help communities uh, prosper. And that's uh, a little bit about why I was excited to uh, be a part of this opportunity and this, this real understanding of the importance of resiliency in um, the work that we do to make communities better and more equitable. So Manjeet, when you answer this question about environmental responsibility, how are you intending to influence your collaborators through an environmentally resilient lens? This is a critical question because it really, both of you are in positions of influence, to influence the professionals that do so much of the research and design it seems to me that you are both in a role of collective conscience. You're the conscience of the organizations to to ensure they keep that lens in front of them. How are you doing that or intending to do that in your role now with this giant corporation? Indeed, it's a lot of responsibility that comes with the work that we do that that spans the immediate time frame all the way through through decades. And so we could come at this from a variety of angles and but to simplify, it's a multi-pronged approach that starts with considering if we are doing the project right and if we are, in fact, doing the right project. So we ask, is this a project that supports the immediate need, but also accounts for its near and longer-term impact on the broader systems that it needs to support? And is it resilient to changing conditions? So we also approach projects in conversations with clients through our future ready lens and initiative and philosophy of WSPs to 
really consider the future in the work that we are doing now, which is a hallmark of being um, environmentally responsible and resilient. So we need to plan and design projects that have often a, a lifespan of, of decades and, and when the future will look different than today. Uh, we consider, analyze, and integrate future trends, uh, including climate, society, technology, and resources into our work to plan with the future in mind. Um, where, where possible, we look to implement projects that address the interconnectivity of built and natural and social ecosystems and projects that offer co-benefits such as green infrastructure or nature-based solutions, providing sustainable improvements to hard infrastructure, but also to incorporate opportunities for stormwater management and natural on-site treatment, air quality improvements, carbon sequestration, there's a growing space yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, green space expansion and reduction of the heat island effect and, and so forth. So, you know, a wonderful menu of services and opportunities, but let's get down to the pragmatism of what's going on in the world right now. There are tremendous threats to the urban environments. The urban environments are where most of the population of the world is moving to. It is amazing how many people are collecting in the urban space. And yet with that massive migration comes a rising inventory of threats to the urban environment. Certainly we saw what happened in our public health crisis of our pandemic over the last few years going on around the world and just unbelievable things happening there the escalation of climate crisis that at and moving at a in an accelerated pace that is impacting so much and then of course we've watched almost daily on the news what's been going on in the Ukraine with the targeted destruction of urban environments and urban infrastructure all of these things are as is just that's a short list of a amazing number of threats How do we go about thinking about this? These are macro problems that really are related to us in the design industry. Suzanne, what what do we do? Well, don't panic (laughs) and and, and start to take it in in small chunks is is really my my Cliff Notes version of of the approach. Uh, Before I answer that, I wanted to add to Manjeet because I, I agree with his whole approach and the whole responsibility conversation. I did want to add two little components to, to his, his very uh, excellent list. And, you know, when you're thinking about designing for the future, and, and I also want to say that you design for flexibility and adaptability over time, right? So because future conditions can change. Yeah. And so a lot of the times that we work and we work with our client communities with uh, thinking about um, how do you adapt now and prepare yourself to continue that path of incremental adaptation and being flexible. And and then the other thing that, you know, kind of going back to how we started the conversation is about community and people. And as you're doing projects and designing projects and designing for the future, really understand and listen to the stakeholders, honor the community and honor their past uh, to build the future. So I I did want to mention that because I think it's important. Then going back to the reality of, of today's world and you know climate change and urbanization and, and everything that's happening, I think every community has risk. And so a lot of times in Florida, people will say, you know, you shouldn't be living on the coast uh, because of hurricanes. But 
you know, just, just last week, we saw the storms out West, right. And we've seen, you know, uh, when it's fire season or when it's tornado season and, and then the, the pandemic hit all of us. So, you know, every community is exposed to risk. The trick and the, 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 the brilliance about a resilient path and a resilience lens is really looking deep inside your community, right? And thinking, what are my risks? How do I identify them? What are my climate risks? What are my vulnerabilities? What are my social vulnerabilities? And understanding that, understanding the vision that the community has, right? And then putting yourself on a path to reduce the risk. So when something happens, you can actually uh, adapt, you can thrive, you can survive. And, you know, a lot of times people say that resilience is about bouncing back. I always said when, when I was still in government, and I say it here, to me, resilience is about bouncing forward to a, a new place, always looking to improve and adapt and be flexible. So that's the way I approach it in, in small increments that can be managed over time. I think that's a, that's a tremendous response. Majid, what do you say? Yeah, I agree with uh, everything that Suzanne mentioned, and I like that phrase, um, you know, bouncing forward instead of bouncing back. and And I think too the you know the the process is really important in engaging with a variety of stakeholders and uh, government partners in and creating a, a baseline of of understanding of what the conditions are on the ground today and what they could look like tomorrow and engaging with the partners and stakeholders and the public. Because one of the things that the process does well is it, it helps to create the, the technical work and the engagement to bring a common understanding of, of what the, the problem is and what the opportunities are. And that helps to build consensus to um, to move forward to come up with solutions so you can bounce forward. Increasingly, we see severe natural disasters like the the one you touched on in in the West recently, and uh, those are certainly a concern. And there are cascading effects of these events to infrastructure and energy grids and and so forth that result in disruption. and And cities are at the forefront of dealing with this. Um, they recognize the interconnected vulnerabilities of these systems to climate impacts and, and taking an all-hazards approach to disaster preparedness. And as an example, we are working with the city of Philadelphia on its all-hazards mitigation plan. So it's this notion that planning looks broadly and comprehensively and all-hazards mitigation is a part of that. And while intense climate-related shocks like hurricanes and flooding and wildfires get the most media coverage. The, the big stressors are exacerbated by the climate change we see today and the wild variations in, in precipitation, particularly what you see in the Colorado River Basin with this long-term drought there and its effect on water supply and on the forests and on power generation too, and the increasing loss of biodiversity. A lot of risk to urban environments and what can be done to invest well. I mean, with the infrastructure dollars that are available, it's to take the opportunity and, and not look at those as linear, as infrastructure projects, but as opportunities for community investment and improvement, and also with a lens to equity to, to, to raise up all that so they benefit from 
these generational infrastructure investments that with that eye toward resiliency and, and equity. I love what both of you spoke about, which is uh, what we call the marriage between social responsibility and environmental responsibility. And why is it for so long we have run in independent silos as opposed to seeing those as interoperable together? It's extraordinary. I guess we're learning as we go, aren't we? You know, when we look at the sustainable development goals coming out of the United Nations and the whole idea of environmental and social governance, we see adoption of this happening at different rates around the world. I know, Suzanne, yours is a global role, so you get to see things on a, on a broad basis. And of course, Manjeet, you're in a very large national role as well. How do we accelerate, I'll call it, and advance the adoption of these goals so that they become more than a poster on the wall? And they become personalized to each of us. And I'm, and I'm talking as, as this industry of ours, of architecture and engineering, it has to become more than just another thing on the list. How do we do this, guys? Yeah, it's really, really important. And, and during the span of my career, I, I've seen trends such as you know, years ago, it was this movement to smart growth and and changing how we develop from one of an automobile-centric, uh, fully suburban model to, to one that was more about placemaking and, um, and making communities more about people and places rather than automobiles and, um, and consumption. And, and recently, we've seen a lot of dialogue about equity. And so that's just a, a conversation that now is, is, is fairly common, certainly tremendous amount of work to do, but the conversation is, is definitely out there. And, and so we're starting to see the same thing with environmental, social, and, and governance, ESG. And since we work across virtually all sectors at WSP, the opportunities are incredibly varied, and in both in terms of what strategies can be identified, planned, and implemented, and, and how quickly. Uh, we are already deeply involved in implementing ESG strategy ourselves and with our corporate clients. Uh, this is a market that will continue to grow rapidly as companies get more uh, pressure from investors and regulators and other stakeholders to disclose and address their climate risks. In addition to reducing emissions and their environmental impact, we are seeing tremendous movement on the part of the private sector to assess and mitigate climate risk to their operations and infrastructure. And corporate clients have also started considering the benefits of natural capital markets and investments in nature to support their carbon reduction efforts. Um, cities have been advancing their climate action planning for um, some time now and to focus on the social aspect of ESG more thoughtfully as equity really has taken center stage and recently centering on environmental justice and equity solutions in the process. Cities are thinking out of the box on solutions to connect historically marginalized communities with clean energy options and, and provide greater access to critical infrastructure and services, as well as building resilience to the most severe impacts of climate change. Yeah. yeah. Suzanne, some thoughts on this? Oh, sure. Um, such a great conversation. You know, when I think about these social goals and environmental goals, I can't help but think of just the word real integration. 
They shouldn't be uh, something on the side, something on top of, you know, some sort of, of, of a have to do checklist. But if you really want to really incorporate uh, and, and, and bring to life um, environmental and social uh, goals and values, I think that they have to be truly integrated and embedded. And I'm, I'm saying starting from training from the academic curriculum and really also embedding it in you know, cities and, and government operations, in their policies, um, in their, their governance models, and in companies as well. I've been really impressed in Jacobs. Over the last three years, I've really seen the company evolve. And, you know, again, I, I kind of mentioned earlier that I, I felt very comfortable coming into this large engineering company because of the approach to the work and the multidisciplinary nature. But even in the last three years, I've, I've seen how resilience and sustainability and climate response have been elevated in the corporate culture. And, and that then becomes part of our core values, part of the way we operate. And I see more and more how it's trickling into you know, operations and how we communicate with our clients and the way we approach our traditional work. And so even a slight name change where people know us as Jacobs Engineering, but we've moved on to become Jacobs Solutions because it's it's more complete, if you will. So, so to me, to, to really see it accelerate, I would say integrate and really uh, institutionalize in your in your organizations, whether academic, government, or business. I think that is a brilliant response. I, this whole idea of integration and, and assimilation of bringing this all together. And of course, in the universities and the schools, it is, it is not primary. It is a secondary in most, of the, in most of the curricula. And it would be amazing if that full consciousness was brought to bear through the four or five years of an of a undergraduate's education. And as they entered and crossed over into the professions, they, have, they get to sprint in with that as opposed to figure it out along the way. It could be extraordinary on the front end, but in all the things you're talking about. So here's where I am. I am so enthused by this conversation that I think we're going to have to have a part two <laughs> because we've barely scratched the surface and both of your, your responses are so meaningful and thoughtful. You're thinking through these things in a in an authentic way. And I think there's more for us to unpack. Would you be willing to do a second one sometime in the in the not too distant future? I, I would love to. Absolutely. It would be great. So I just want to say thank you for joining me today on this time and let's plan another time together in the future. Let's let's uh, let's continue. Thank you so much. Looking forward to the great conversation and an important one and uh, appreciate the opportunity for it. Thank you for joining us for this edition of This is Design Intelligence. The producer is Laura Spells. The sound engineer is Jared Knabel. This has been a DI Media Group production.